Hey everyone, it's Keith. So I'm thinking about the word addiction and what it means. And um, I'm wondering if the dictionary will help or just a Google search um, on Google. The first dictionary definition is the fact or condition of being addicted <laughs> to a particular substance, thing, or activity. Dependency. Um, it's really annoying when they use the word in the definition, you know. Um, let's see. Is there maybe, you know, it's so funny because, like, dictionaries now are, like, hard to always rely on. And there's, like, multiple, there's multiple dictionaries that you could use. Um, I want to find one that's not actually using the word in it. On the side, it gives me the Wikipedia kind of description. Addiction is a neuropsychological disorder characterized by a persistent and intense urge to engage in certain behaviors, often usage of a drug, despite substantial harm and other negative consequences. And then it goes on with drugs specifically. Repetitive drug use often alters brain function in ways that perpetuate craving and weakens self-control. I don't identify as a drug addict or an alcoholic, but I do use those things, truth be told. Um, I can't beat around the bush here. I want to tackle this topic honestly, so I'm going to be forthcoming with my habits. Um, I suppose my dad brings this up the most to me because he's like a teetotaling abstinence <laughs> prohibition style drinker, which is to say he doesn't drink. He'll have maybe a glass of wine at a special dinner and drink half of it. So, you know, compared to somebody that drinks maybe six glasses of wine a year, I might seem like an addict. Um, I tell my doctors whenever I see them, very honestly, that I probably do drink on average two drinks a day or so. Uh, and I see nothing wrong with it at all. I think it's quite fine. I, it's obviously normal. That goes without saying that so many of us drink socially or drink just to take the edge off after work or at the end of the day. Uh, we drink at parties. We do go to parties. I mean, it's just, it's so normalized that, um, you know, not not to say that everything normal is healthy at all, but I do think that it's fine, especially when you look at the um, the vastness of human behavior through time and space. Every single culture drinks, and we drink less than we used to as a species. People were just buzzed constantly back in the day. You think about pre-industrial revolution, you know, it was like safer to have beer or even whiskey over water versus like contaminants and stuff. Um, you know, I, I think it's like very, very understandable that people like to feel intoxicated. But I'm not even here today to talk about addiction to substances. I'm here to actually talk about addiction to sex and love, which is a thing um, I'm about, I was about to say a real thing, but you know, I'm questioning whether or not it's quote real. It is real in the sense that there is really a group, uh, or a series or, you know, a constellation of groups that do identify this way and meet to discuss it. 
And I went to one with a friend who will remain anonymous for the point of this podcast in the spirit of in the spirit of this kind of 12-step program philosophy around anonymity, which, um, I mean, people use their names. You can, you can see their faces. I don't know how anonymous it technically is, but in any case, um, I went in support and solidarity with my friend to one of these meetings who does identify as a love addict. And when I first heard that, you know, I thought, what? Like, I've heard of a sex addict. Uh, a love addict is a lot harder to get my mind around. And sex addiction, you know, compared to substance abuse, it's hard to really square how equivalent they can be. Because when we think of addicts, we do think of perhaps this caricature, this cartoonish version of, you know, a low life in the street, you know, nodding off on heroin or just desperate to shoot up something or snort something and throwing their life away to pursue it. And um, this caricature gets a lot of bad, a bad rap, but, uh, you know, it is true. You know, let's, let's not fool ourselves. This is a real thing that happens all the time. And if you live in a big city, I don't have to convince you of that. And it's not cool, you know, it's like, it's, it's unfortunate, it's, it's sad, it's a health issue, it's a, it's a problem. And usually like drug rehabilitation programs, um, evidence-based ones, focus on the brain chemistry, you know, the neuropsychological disorder of it in order to, to conquer it, to heal it. And that involves, you know, you know, there are methods like cold turkey for cigarettes, but usually it's more like getting on methadone after heroin and slowly weaning yourself off so your brain is not craving this so habitually. And when I think about sex addiction, it's like, what? Like, I don't know. Like, it's harder to imagine. Like, I guess for me, I think about an addiction, if you're going to use that word, which is quite a loaded and strong word. It's got to imply that it's seriously affecting your life in a negative way. Like, you're not not only are you not getting things done, which is understandable enough, but like you're like losing friendships, you're you're like you're decaying physically, you're suffering, and you know, you're throwing away all your potential and all your hopes and dreams toward this thing. You know, like the movie Requiem for a Dream, right? Which shows it in the mo- in a very dramatic way, fair or otherwise. And I I guess I do think of addiction like that, but you know, in my life, I've I've lived a life thus far with um, a lot of experience and people in and out of it. And I have known addicts. I've known alcoholics for sure. People that can't quite uh, maintain their normal lives because of their sort of dependence on alcohol. Alcohol being probably the most common addiction. Perhaps cigarettes over that. And you know, even with cigarette smokers, it's like people that want to quit that just don't quit because they just can't bring themselves to do it. Their craving for the thing is stronger. So I'm just thinking about like what sex addiction might look like in relationship to that and if it could apply to me. Now, I don't speak about my personal life much on this podcast, and I will try and maintain some amount of... um, Well, I guess not quite privacy, but I'm going to kind of withhold details to keep this, you know, 
kosher, if you will. I'm gonna take a quiz. This is a sex and love addiction, 40 questions for self-diagnosis pamphlet that I was given to, given at this meeting. And I wanna go through it with you and China, I don't know, like I, they've given me a bunch of stuff as groups tend to do. You know, I have another pamphlet, a welcome pamphlet that goes through all the vocabulary, you know, this is full of jargon. Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, SLAA, SLAW, it's known as colloquially. Um, you know, the kinds of meetings, what can I expect from a meeting? Some language of recovery I'll just throw out here. Abstinence is defined as a change in our behavior that involves stopping the addictive pattern one day, sometimes one minute at a time. Uh, acting out is to engage in addictive behavior. Anorexia in this context is the compulsive avoidance of giving or receiving social, sexual, or emotional nourishment. Bottom line behaviors are generally self-defined activities which we refrain from in order to experience our physical, mental, emotional, sexual, and spiritual wholeness. Boundaries, crosstalk, group conscience, uh, inventory or mental inventory, sobriety, sobriety date, sponsor, trigger. So it's like 12, the self-help 12-step stuff, you know, that was invented by someone for, in particular with alcohol. It, also, it involves a higher power, you know, that's a big deal these days, and so few people believe in God, at least, you know, in my in my world. So, in a, like, in a, in a meeting in L.A., it's, like, a big thing to, like, just define what it means to, like, recognize a higher power and people getting caught up with that. Anyways, I just want to focus on these questions to see whether or not I might be an addict. And I guess I'll say one more thing at the onset here. I identify probably more so or mostly in this sense as a hedonist. I enjoy pleasure and I enjoy short-term or immediate gratification. I seek that out. I think sex, drugs, alcohol, they're all kind of about that and not just those things. I like having fun. I like going to parties. I like going to concerts. I like watching films. Even the things that are more cultured and like lofty, I do it for the pleasure it gives me almost right away. I don't go to the gym, okay? I don't want to wait months and months for reward on a nicer body, for instance. So that's something I don't really do. I've invested in education but it's because it's pleasurable immediately. It's exciting and fun to go to school and to hear and to go into a classroom. But if I had to wait like four years for all that knowledge to actually like click in at graduation or something, I probably wouldn't have done it. So, you know, hedonism, I think I have to mention as a word because I just think it's a much more helpful word. You know, like all the things that I do, like if I was to think about does do my quote addictions get in the way of my life? It's really just my desire for immediate or short-term joy that gets in the way of my longer-term goals. So I just am trying to figure out if a meeting or a group like this could address that and if it's helpful to use language like sobriety or, you know, whatever these other words are that I've used, would those help in me pursuing my other goals in life? Let's get into it. Question one. Have you ever tried to control how much sex to have or how often you would see someone? Okay, so this is already 
fraught. Like, what does that mean, try to control? I mean, if you set up a date, for instance, where you're pursuing somebody romantically and or sexually, as I've certainly done, is that control or is it just being proactive? Is it having agency in the world? What does that mean to control how much, you know, like, it's a really weird way to put it. Like I've acted on my instincts in proactive ways. I don't know if that makes it controlling, you know, no one has ever really described me as controlling in terms of a being a sex partner. But yeah, it's weird. Like, Maybe also implied with that is deny, like trying not to have too much. I don't know. I So I have no idea how to answer that question. You know, it's a really odd question. And it's also odd because they combine these two things. How much sex to have or how often you would see someone. Like, you know, that, that belies this idea that sex and love addiction are the same thing. I mean, people like to just feel good. People pursue others that make them feel good. And everybody feels good. Like laying in bed with another person that they're attracted to. You know what I mean? It's like a universally good thing to do. And to like pathologize that is so strange to me. Um, but for the for the sake of argument, let's say I did feel like this, like um, how often I would see someone. Well, sure. It's like, okay, well, if I'm seeing someone, maybe I don't date them every day, maybe like twice a week or even once a week. You know, like, is that controlling to like think, well, we just saw each other. Let's not see each other again. I doubt that most people would think of that as, quote, controlling. Number two, do you find yourself unable to stop seeing a specific person even though you know that this person is destructive to you? I guess so. Destructive? I mean, we've all stayed in relationships longer than we should have, right? I mean, if you, like, recognize, you know, this, this doesn't have much of a future, but we still just really like each other, you keep hanging out. Um... It's hard to stop. It's hard to it's hard to like throw the brakes on something without some inciting incident. You know, if they didn't really do something super damaging and hurtful to you, you don't have the best reason in the world to stop seeing them. So, I guess I would say yes, but destructive. I don't feel like pe I don't know if I've ever had a relationship in my life that felt destructive. Um I think of my past relationships, the most quote toxic ones or the ones where I have the least fond memories, I didn't find it hard to stop seeing them. I just wanted to stop seeing them. I mean, it was hard because they might not have wanted to, but um, I didn't feel addicted to that person or even the sex that we were having. Three, do you feel that you don't want anyone to know about your sexual or romantic activities? Do you feel you need to hide these activities from others, friends, family, etc.? No, I don't feel that way. I'm fine to discuss these things and to talk about them with my close friends. It's not something I usually podcast about. It's not for the whole world per se. I do believe that people should have their private lives, but I'm not hiding any errant or, you know, strange behavior on this in this regard. Four, do you get high from sex and or romance? Do you crash? Huh. I guess with the with the inclusion of the phrase do you crash I would say no here there here. I do feel high on endorphins and dopamine from orgasms, you know, and hugs and like cuddling. I mean, I think everybody again, like these are like these are neurological physiological experiences that do make us feel good. 
So if you want to call that a high, but in this case, if, if a high involves a crash, I mean, relationships ending hurts. They hurt for reasons, like real reasons. Um, so I don't really understand this phrasing. I would say no, I don't do that. Have you had sex at inappropriate times in inappropriate places and or with inappropriate people? Well, what does inappropriate mean? What does that mean? I mean, it's like, if that's self-defined, I don't really think I've ever done something inappropriate. Um, like against my own morals or like, you know, like, it's really tough, right? And they're combining three things in it. What counts as an inappropriate time? What does that mean? Like, um, lunch break? Is a lunch break an inappropriate time? Is, like, 4 a.m. an inappropriate time? Like, what does that mean? Um, inappropriate places. So is, like, is in your car an inappropriate place, like in a parking garage? Or what about, like, in a dressing room? Is that inappropriate? I would say, like, <laughs> you know, at, like, in the middle of a lecture or a class, that would be inappropriate, definitely. Um, and I haven't done that. Um, inappropriate people. I mean, children are inappropriate people, right? I think we can all agree on that. Um, but is like, is like, um, is somebody that you know is like, I don't know, if, like if they're dating somebody else, is that inappropriate? Because it's like cheating on their behalf even, is that inappropriate? I mean, to compare that to like, Having sex with with a minor seems a little, I don't know. It's it's really, it's an overly vague question. I suppose if you can define something like a dressing room with a oh, like a married woman, if that was inappropriate, I suppose I would say maybe yes to that question generally. But it's like I don't find it inappropriate. I find it fun and exciting, and you know, mutually interesting and not that destructive you know it's like it's the kind of impulse that people feel and whether or not you act on it doesn't really like i don't know like i don't really think that the people that act on that are any worse than the people that don't act on that frankly okay um do you make promises to yourself or rules for yourself concerning your sexual romantic behavior that you find you cannot follow well, no, I don't make promises myself. Sometimes I've made like a game of avoiding pornography, right? Like, can I go a month without watching pornography, for instance? Um, and usually if I do that, I'll do pretty well at it, but I might break maybe before the month, right? Now, is that a rule for myself that I'm like, I don't know, that I cannot follow? I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to not look at pornography, once you've gotten into the habit of doing so, and if you don't have a partner, for instance. Um, but I think if you're going to stretch addiction to include that, it would make almost everybody in the modern world an addict. And maybe that would be appropriate. You know, like, are we all addicted to our phones? Maybe. Or maybe there are people that are serious heavy users that are much more addicted than others. You know, like... This is a tough way to look at it. Um, I don't know if I would if I would tick yes on this one. Um, so I'll I'll have to like say maybe there as well. 
have you had sex? Have you had or do you have sex with someone you didn't or don't want to have sex with? Uh, I mean, we are all we've all kind of tested our own boundaries of, you know, of that, I think. Right. I mean, let's be clear. Sex and in a broader sense, let's call it, um, I don't know, sexual attention is always, is, is, a, is an innately interesting and desirable thing for almost every person. And when you find yourself kind of wrapped up in a little bit of a dance with somebody, a stranger or a friend of a friend or whatever, a Tinder date, you're going to pursue it even though you might get a sense right away that it's not your number one choice. It's not like who you would, it's not your fantasy person or something like that. But you feel it out and you go with it for a lot of reasons. There's like the social etiquette of showing up to a date and finishing the date, you know. There's the question in the back of your mind, like maybe they'll grow on me. Um, there's always these little things. I have certainly, to answer the question, I've had sex with people I didn't really desire. But it's not a big deal. Like, it, it made me question, like, why I was doing it or, you know, why what I could have done to avoid that or what I really was after. Like, you know, you start questioning yourself in, this, in these ways. But, yeah, I mean, I guess... I will say yes to that, and I do think there are a lot of people that won't say yes to that, and that is nicer. But um, I think for somebody like me who has, you know, really explored hookup culture, it happens. You know, like if you get into the habit of hooking up casually, like that will happen. Um, and I suppose that is worth flagging. I would admit that that would be a sort of compulsive behavior or something that like isn't ultimately in my best interest. Number eight, do you believe that sex and or a relationship will make your life bearable? I don't think my life is unbearable if I'm not having sex, but I do think that a healthy life involves those two things, sex and a relationship. Um, I think sex without a relationship, it can be a little unfulfilling, but it's still better than nothing. I think a relationship without sex, similarly, is a bit unfulfilling, and I wouldn't really want that, you know? Like, I think that's kind of scarier even, because, like, then you're kind of trapped, I think. Or I've, I've heard it described that way. I've never let myself get to that point. Um, but I think this phrasing of making your life bearable is really, like you know, defining this question. I don't think my life is, un I don't think life is unbearable without it, but um, it's certainly lacking, you know? Like, sex is a human need almost on par with, like, food and sleep, but not quite. Like, you don't have to have it the same way you need to eat and drink water, but it really is on this level of, like, a base animalistic need for life and people that don't have it are suffering so i don't know make that make of that what you will have you ever felt that you had to have sex like i just have to have sex 
Yeah, I have felt that. <laughs> Do you believe that someone can fix you? No, I don't believe that someone can fix me. Um, though, I don't know. I have some sympathy for that in a way. Like, I do think that people can complete each other, you know, as trite as that sounds. Like, I think that people function better in as couples. And, in like, in this society, I think that that's valued for a reason. Um, but I think that people that are, quote, broken need to fix themselves. Um you know, I don't think of a partner as doing doing anything new for me um, that I can't do myself. They're doing stuff for me that we can do together. But um, I don't think of myself as broken until I, and then I meet them. I don't think that way. Do you keep a list, written or otherwise, of the number of partners you've had? I do not, which might surprise some people because I am actually quite um, fastidious about certain organizational and memory <laughs> tool things like with photography for sure like I try and document everything in my life because I forget them but I haven't always done that and I've definitely you know throughout my life especially maybe my 20s I wasn't as obsessive as I am now and there are certainly yeah, I just don't have a list. Um, do you feel desperation or uneasiness when you are away from your lover or sexual partner? Um, no, definitely not desperation. Uneasiness? No, I don't in general, but I have kind of, I mean, I, I, I can understand or relate to that. Not really, actually. When I'm with friends and they act like that, because their partner's not there, I really kind of look at them funny. Like, what? We're like, we're hanging out. Like, what's the problem? You'll see them and you'll see them tomorrow, you know? Or I actually don't get that. I think it's like this weird codependent thing. Um, you can obviously feel like if you're in a situation and think, oh man, I wish my partner was here. Of course, of course. But to call like to a level of desperation or uh, you know that definitely not uneasiness that's such a vague word um anxieties you know it's such a spectral thing um but i would by and large say no to that have you lost count of the number of sexual partners you've had yes i have i think that should have probably just followed up with that other one <laughs> about keeping a list do you feel desperate about your need for a lover sexual fix or future mate no, I don't feel desperate. I don't feel desperate. Um, I do have, you know, an interesting perspective on romance versus cynicism and how much I've lost a lot of the romance I had young when I was younger and how cynical I've become while still retaining some amount of a, like, um, you know, a fantasy of what I want or like what kind of woman would best suit me. Like I still... You know, that's a that's a tricky topic. I don't think that it relates to addiction, though. Have you or do you have sex regardless of the consequences? For instance, the threat of being caught, the risk of contracting herpes, gonorrhea, AIDS, etc. Um. Well, I've talked on this podcast before that I am I am not 
that risk averse compared to a lot of people. I'm more risky. I take risks. Um, but I'm never absolutely blind to the consequences. They're always on my mind to a degree. So I've never been in too dangerous of a position here with these th kind of things. Um, but it is fun to get caught up in, in the moment. Um, so I can appreciate that. So here I could take yes, I don't know. Compared to a lot of people that I can think of, certainly not. But um, compared to an average person, whatever that is, it's tough. You know, like these conversations totally depend on what kind of person you're engaging with. Because I know people that are extremely straight-laced and buttoned down who would really maybe like, you know, gasp at my stories. But then I also know people that have lived way more wildly than me, you know? So it's like, I think I kind of walk that line pretty pretty well, personally. Do you find that you have a pattern of repeating bad relationships? No, I'm pretty proud of my relationships, um, by and large. Do you feel that your only or major value in a relationship is your ability to perform sexually or provide an emotional fix? No, I don't feel that way. Do you feel like a lifeless puppet unless there is someone around you with whom you can flirt? Do you feel like you're not really alive unless you are with your sexual romantic partner? Huh. Again, this wording is like so strong. Um, and maybe people in this kind of, you know, program do use language that is this strong. I would say more like if I'm at a party and there's no one there that I want to flirt with, it's kind of a boring party. That's how I would say it. <laughs> I would rather, quote, I feel more alive if I am flirting or around my partner. If I'm, if there's some amount of sexual undercurrent in a given situation, it is more interesting. Absolutely. Do I feel dead or like a lifeless puppet if it's not there? No, I don't feel like that. I feel like it's like, slightly less interesting or it's actually it's not slightly less it's less interesting full stop it's not as fun but it doesn't mean it's boring you know there's other ways to be entertained uh do you feel entitled to sex tricky question politically dangerous question um i don't feel entitled to sex, but I do feel, like I said earlier, that sex is this extremely quite vital urge and activity for human beings. And so I do think in a perfect world, everybody would have sex whenever they wanted. And we really don't live in that world at all. I'm no incel. I think that's probably clear. But I have a lot of sympathy for involuntarily celibate people, men especially. And I do think that society is very harsh on undesirable men. Very, very harsh. And I feel sad for those men. And um, I don't quite think it's the same for women. There are certainly undesirable women. Um, I think, you know, this is maybe a topic for a different time. I think there are differences between the sexes, um, vast differences. Um, I don't feel entitled. I think it's a bad word to use, but I do feel 
some amount of like, hmm, what's it like? You know, like I'm trying to use an analogy to like either like work life or sports. Like it's not like you, you know, like if you're a good baseball team and you're favored to win the World Series, you're not entitled to it. It's not, it doesn't go without saying. You still have to play all the games, right? But you feel, um, you feel like you c- could and maybe even should obtain the thing you want. But you have to, you have to go through all the game. You have to play the games. You have to go through all the steps, you know. And a lot of that, especially like with romance, like it's a major difference between people's romantic lives and their work lives because we have more quote control over our work lives even though it's also interpersonal, right? I mean, you can't give yourself the job. You need a hiring manager to give you the job, generally speaking, unless you're an entrepreneur. But even like me as like a self-employed person, I can't will into existence more and more listeners to this podcast and will into existence sponsors. That's like, um, I'm not entitled to sponsors, I'm not entitled to more revenue from this podcast, but I would like it and maybe I could pursue it, you know, but it takes work. It takes active. It takes being proactive. Do you find yourself in a relationship that you cannot leave? No, not really. I feel I've felt in life before a little bit like that. But compared to what I've heard, like I've never been in a relationship longer than five years. So compared to people that are in relationships for 10 years and the last half are were bad years, I mean, I can't really say that. I've certainly felt like it was hard to leave, but then I was able to. Have you ever threatened your financial stability or standing in the community by pursuing a sexual partner? No. Do you believe that the problems in your love life result from not having enough of or the right kind of sex or from continuing to remain with the wrong person? No. Have you ever had a serious relationship threatened or destroyed because of outside sexual activity? No. Do you feel that life would have no meaning without a love relationship or without sex? Do you feel that you would have no identity if you are not someone's lover. Well, we've covered this, I think. We're repeating ourselves now. Um, No meaning? I don't feel that way. I do feel like it's a big deal. It's a major part of life in general, and it is a major part of my life to feel loved and to give love and to, you know, have sex in in a technical sense. Um... It's not something I'm ready to lose. Um, but it is also the nature of life that nothing is permanent, right? I mean, old age for sure, but even like when I broke my foot, you know, or if I if I had a major injury where I couldn't walk ever again, or if I lost function from the waist down or, you know, from the head down, or if I became a vegetable, like these are real things that happen in the world. And I, you know... Does that, does that render life meaningless? No. Like I've thought to myself, like there's always the mind and the pursuits of the intellect. No matter what, like I could always throw myself into 
those things, you know. There's also drugs, you know. There's there's ways to feel good <laughs> without this kind of stuff, and that's what makes people drug addicts, frankly. To be a love addict, I mean, it kind of just implies that you have a much more robust and healthy attitude in life than somebody that has no connections whatsoever and just drinks themselves to bed every night. Um, do you find yourself flirting or sexualizing with someone even if you do not mean to? Hmm. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. Being, like, being flirtatious is, I think, it's a, it comes naturally enough to me. Um, so sometimes that does happen, yeah. Um, does your sexual and or romantic behavior affect your reputation? I guess so. The fact that people have brought this up to me, <laughs> the fact that my friend um, brought me to this meeting, I think it is part of my reputation among my friends. But that's it. I don't think it goes beyond that. I mean, I don't have any major public persona that could be affected reputationally per se. But um you know, I I don't know. It's a part of my it's part of me. So people that know me know that and it's uh beyond I don't know what that means by reputation, I guess. I don't think it goes beyond the people that could or should know about it. Do you have sex and or relationships to try to deal with or escape from life's problems? Now that's more like it because that's really what I was trying to get to earlier with hedonism. And this is really the question. And I think with pornography, it's it's way more clear. Like pornography addiction is a real is a is a more real thing to me than sex or love addiction because pornography you can do that on your own as many times as you want every single day. And if you're doing that five times a day, that's probably a problem. If you're having sex five times a day, you're probably a very successful millionaire or billionaire in your field. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I, I can't quite square those two things. Like sex requires well, let's hope so, the consent of someone willingly finding you sexually attractive, you know? And it's hard to call that an addiction. Like, yeah, you like to be desired and you like to, you know, feel the rush of a climax. Like, how is that pathological? But pornography for sure could be. And I do hear some stories, or at least memes online, of people that really just never leave their basements because they're just, they can't stop scrolling through through internet porn. So that's like a real thing. And that's where I would think like escaping from life's problems. I think in a broader sense, I would say, hmm, I am thinking about like in my life at major crossroads, like going to college, leaving the college town, moving to the big city, you know, graduating from my master's program, facing the real world. At these, like, junctures are when I have felt the most tied up with love and sex and a sort of, like, desperation of, like, making something work or just pursuing somebody that what didn't make sense or 
you know, like instead of like thinking about other parts of my life, I would just focus on that, even if it didn't really work. And I do think that I escape life's problems with any sort of short-term pleasure, but it's not just about sex. I mean, I will, you know, right now, for instance, I'll play a video game. It's not sexual. Or like I'll just sleep in instead of waking up. That's not sexual or love addiction. That's just avoid avoiding responsibility. That's just procrastinating, right? It's having anxiety about bigger things. Um, sex or romance, I suppose, or flirting or whatever, is one form that that can take for sure. But to what to 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 elevate that to the level of addiction is still a mystery to me. Do you feel uncomfortable about your masturbation because of the frequency with which you masturbate, the fancies you engage in, the props you use, and or the places in which you do it? No. No, I don't feel uncomfortable with that. Do you engage in the practices of voyeurism, exhibitionism, etc., in ways that bring discomfort and pain? No. Do you find yourself needing greater and greater variety and energy in your sexual and romantic activities just to achieve an acceptable level of physical and emotional relief? Hmm. Do you find yourself needing more variety and energy in your activities just to achieve? No. You know, that's kind of like trying to equate it to drug use where you're always chasing this high that you felt at the beginning that you'll never feel again because it's like you're depleting all your dopamine, you know, and like you just need more and more. I don't think it is the same. I guess people can feel that with sex. I don't. I'm having a, I'm actually struggling to even imagine that for anyone I've ever met or seen or anything. Um you know, even like the fetish community, you know, like S&M and stuff and bondage, you know, I don't even equate that in the same way as like, oh, I just need more and more. We started with, you know, these things and now we're doing all this other crazy stuff. Like that's a different thing. I actually find that to be like anti-sexy in a way. Um, you know, my one of my favorite authors... Michel Houellebecq, he describes that in a book, one of his books, in such a nice way. I wish I could find it just on the spot here. But he's, like, describing how, like, this BDSM community is almost, like, the opposite of a sexual community because they're so disembodied and so alienated from, like, their physical natural selves that they have to include all this other stuff, you know, in order to feel excitement or something. You know, I don't really think it's like, yeah, I had this orgasm as a teenager and ever since then I've been chasing it so hard that now we're just like whipping each other until we bleed. You know, I, I, there's just not, it doesn't make it, it doesn't, they're not in the same line. Those are two different wavelengths. Okay. Um, do you need to have sex or fall in love in order to feel like a real man or a real woman? Maybe. Like I said, like, it's integral to life. It's how humans reproduce. It's how we express 
love. It's how we bond. It's how we make connections. It's how we get comfortable with each other. Um, you know, manhood and masculinity is tied very explicitly to uh, the penis and vice versa. The sex organs literally define, <laughs> this is controversial, I guess, your sex, your gender. I mean, if that wasn't even true now in this trans era, then why would people have reassignment surgery? You know, they do have it because it's true that like if you have a penis, you're probably not a woman. And people that identify as a woman with penises, they would probably rather remove it. Um, an erect penis is is like the most masculine thing that exists and using it right so yeah i mean i don't know i don't know if i personally would say i need to have sex to feel like a real man i i actually could never hear myself saying that but i get it and i do think there's something emasculating about not having any sex you know, going through a drought, you know, where, where it's been a while since you've had sex, it starts to fuck with your mind a bit. I don't think you start questioning whether or not you're a real man, but it does, you know, like, things are off, right? I mean, yeah. It's a weird question, though. Do you feel that your sexual and romantic behavior is about as rewarding as hijacking a revolving door? What? Are you jaded in the same question? What? Do you feel that your sexual and romantic behavior is about as rewarding as hijacking a revolving door? Are you jaded? I do think I'm jaded. I mentioned that earlier. I'm definitely jaded compared to my teenage self. Do you f I'm so, this, the wording of this question is so confusing to me, that your sexual behavior is about as rewarding why is the word hijacking in here? A revolving door. Um, I think no. You don't have to be... And being jaded does not mean that you think it's all just pointless and it's a revolving door. I'm not sure what they mean by that, but I'm going to guess it's like that. Um, being jaded just means like you're not just romantically looking for the one all the time. You're not just like thinking that there's some fairy tale ending in life. You know, that's like what it means to me. Um, you've met enough people in the world and you know what works and doesn't work and whatever. Uh, I don't understand this hijacking revolving door stuff though. Are you unable to concentrate on other areas of your life because of thoughts or feelings you are having about another person or about sex? Well, from time to time, yes. Definitely. I mean, that's why I'm curious about this program. It's like, sometimes I do think that my fantasies or my fixations get in the way of more productive things. But like I said, it's not just about sex. Like, I'm like, today, like, it was really, I, I'm really into this game called Hollow Knight on the Nintendo Switch. And it's super cool. It's like a really cool engrossing action adventure platformer game. And I would rather play that than do this podcast, to be honest. You know, it's the sun is already down, and I would rather, like, be playing that game. 
but I'm doing this instead because this is what I should be doing. Um, but yeah, like I'm distracted. I'm easily distracted. Uh, okay, 34. Do you find yourself obsessing? No, I'm sorry, I skipped one. No, I didn't. Do you find yourself obsessing about a specific person or sexual act, even though these thoughts bring pain, craving, or discomfort? Oof. Yes. Yes, I can appreciate that. Man, that's an annoying feeling. I definitely feel pain and craving and discomfort when lusting after certain people either in real life or in media and it like it does really hurt i've i yes i know this feeling very well and um is that a problem is that an addiction thing maybe it's a it's it is a problem like i hate having that feeling where it's like uh this model is so hot that it gives me a stomach ache because it's like the the disconnect of wanting something and never getting it is is painful it's just a very very painful thing have you ever wished you could stop or control your sexual and romantic activities for a given period of time have you ever wished you could be less emotionally dependent um i have sometimes it's been a while i mean i think at some point like, once you hit, like, late 30s, your sex drive isn't as annoying as it was at 20. But for sure, I've thought in my life, like, man, this is such a burden to be sexually interested in everyone. What if I just was castrated? Then I could just focus on, you know, grander pursuits. I've thought that. I'm glad I never really thought it too strongly. And I think the older I get, the less and less I care about thinking like that. I mean, it's a valuable thing to feel sexually alive or, you know, active. And it doesn't have to, I don't know, it's, it doesn't have to be this all or nothing thing. Do you find the pain in your life increasing no matter what you do? Are you afraid that deep down you are unacceptable? No. 37. Do you feel that you're that you lack dignity and wholeness? No. 38. Do you feel that your sexual and or romantic life affects your spiritual life in a negative way? No, I don't. 39. Do you feel that your life is unmanageable because of your sexual and or romantic behavior or your excessive dependency needs? Uh questioning but i ultimately know i mean i'll reiterate it yet again dear listener i do feel that my life is unmanageable because of certain qualities in my life mainly distraction and a lack of self-discipline i don't think that sex and dating is the number one thing of that. I think it's in there, 
But if if I was if you were to remove that, I would still want to go partying. I would still want to play games. I would still want to sleep. I would still want to clean my entire house before starting another project. You know, there are all sorts of ways of procrastination and distraction. Last question. Have you ever thought that there might be more you could do with your life if you were not so driven by sexual romantic pursuits? Yes. Yes. So what can you do? This is how the pamphlet continues on after that questionnaire. If reading through these questions has brought home to you the fact that your sexual activity, romantic behavior, or emotional involvements may be suspect, what now? First of all, rest assured that you are not alone, that many of us have lived out addictive patterns highlighted by these questions and have found recovery through Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. If there are regular SLA meetings in your area, attendance, and da-da-da-da, okay. Above all, know that recovery is possible and that a path to recovery does exist. What does that mean, recovery? All right, these are the 12 steps. I'm going to read them to you. One, we admitted we are powerless. <laughs> so this is in the, what's we? Fourth person? It's like, it's using we, and then it's past tense. We admitted we were powerless. I'm going to make this first person present tense. Uh, step one, I admit I am powerless over sex and love addiction, that my life has become unmanageable. Okay, well, I'm not ready for that one already. Two, I come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Uh... I would be willing to do that if it came to it. Three, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, as I understand God. Four, I make a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. Well, that one I like, and that one I try and do here on this podcast. Five, I admit to God, to myself, and to another, to other people the exact nature of my wrongs. Okay, that's not a big deal. Six, I am entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Okay. Seven, I humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. Okay. Seems oddly passive, doesn't it? Eight, I make a list of all people I have harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. Noble pursuit. Nine, I make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Good. Ten, I continue to take personal inventory and when I'm, when I'm wrong, promptly admit it. Good. It's just being mature, I think. Eleven. I seek through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with a power greater than myself, praying only for knowledge of God's will for me and the power to carry that out. Okay, that one sounds explicitly religious. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, I try to carry this message to sex and love addicts and to practice these principles in all areas of life. Well, that sounds very... Uh, What's it called when you spread the word gospel? Um, 
Evangelic? Evangelist? All right, so that was the questionnaire. I, I gotta say I'm a little disappointed by that questionnaire. Um, I don't know what... Well, I guess I kind of do know that I've felt in my life. Definitely, I guess what I got from this questionnaire just now are these memories I've had specifically around two or three women um, in college, leaving college and in grad school and leaving grad school that I definitely became quite obsessed with and like craved their love and felt desperate for it and was so angry and frustrated and confused that it wasn't quite working. You know, these were women that I, that were in my life, but not as not in the way that I wanted them in my life, not fully, like we didn't really establish the relationship that I craved. And I think part of my craving is what pushed it away as well. And I guess that could be described as a love addiction. And I've certainly had the types of sex that people could criticize or critique as unhealthy or as... Um, counterproductive to the life I want to have I could see that so I could see hmm I don't actually think they're similar I feel like the love the sex addiction and the love addiction are separate things but I guess they could go together that's fine um I don't know what do you guys think what do you think um to the close friends the dear friends of mine that listen to this Maybe this is something to talk about. Um, for others, I hope it's somewhat interesting for you to consider. Um, I don't know. This was a, an experiment, obviously. Um, I hope it was worthwhile enough. Um, I guess I'm still questioning it. I'm open-minded, so maybe I'll visit this group again with my friend. But um, I think I do prefer my own language about it, I think identifying my hedonistic tendencies or my pursuit of short-term pleasure as a distraction from my longer-term goals is what I would rather be meditating on and admitting that I can be weak and seeking higher power for assistance. Like, I'd be willing to do that kind of stuff. So I just don't know if, like, defining myself as an addict will get me there. But um, life's all a journey, right? All right, guys, until next time. Ciao.